All right, we are back for Rogue Table Talks number 84, I believe. Yes, sir. Randy Randy Moss number 84. Uh Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a large number. Uh, But we are, we're back. Uh, It is a nice day here in December, mid-December in the St. Louis area. sunny. It's going to be, I don't know, about 60 degrees or maybe a little more than that here so yeah, very south carolina like almost it's it's the, about the same here yeah 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 so we'll enjoy it we'll enjoy it while we can um and we're gonna look at a kind of a long passage that's all one sort of event it's like a scene from a movie uh there's a lot going on i don't really have a firm direction uh but uh i have a sort of i guess, i don't know loose um, thoughts floating around that we probably need to talk about. Uh, so I, 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 I like to explore like this relationship between our need and faith and dependence, but not passivity, action, uh, and just the relationship between all of those things in our life and the the passage is it's a long passage but it's all sort of one thing it is like a scene from a movie it's mark 5 starting in verse 21 uh and let me read just read read the whole thing uh and we'll get to what we get to uh so when jesus had crossed over by the by boat to the other side of the lake a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake so it's kind of a familiar setting Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. That's sort of act one. Act two, a large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of becoming better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Okay, so that's act act two, if you will. Act three, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Okay. 
So it is sort of like a, a three, three act scene from a, a movie. Um, and there's sort of a lot going on, but, um, I guess what are your first impressions from that passage, uh, from what going, what's going on in that passage? There's a lot going on. Um, I just have a lot of questions. I think one of the questions is, is there any, is there anything to, to be said for the three acts and the, this happened, Jairus' daughter's sick, they, they come to him, he goes on the way, there's a woman on the way, she's healed, and then the third act of resuscitating or resurrecting the girl, uh, is there anything to be said for, like, that? Is is that significant in any way, how the passage is constructed? Yeah, I think it is, <clears throat> but I don't know exactly, I think it is but I'm not sure what the significance is. It's partly, um, you know, not to get too literary theory on us, but, uh, you know, I think it was, it was Flannery O'Connor that said, um, you know, to find the meaning of a story, you have to read the story, you know, talking about the meaning of the story, you know, it, it necessarily in her, in that view, and that might be a direct, uh, you know, there's something in the story <clears throat> I think that you get from reading the story and mm-hmm. it doesn't mean it's not true. It's a true story, but it's hard to totally quantify everything about it. And something is lost when you try to quantify stories. Uh, you know, there is something there about he's there to teach. He's interrupted to heal. The healing is interrupted for another healing, which is a different sort of healing. Uh, and then the other healing takes place. And all of that is sort of all part of Jesus's ministry, all part of one thing. Um, it's part of some unified whole that I think is telling us something. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's hard to quantify like, this is what the kingdom is. It's the truth. It's restoration it's dependence, faith, belief, reliance, but it's also action. Um, you know, it's restoration and resurrection and the hope for those things in the midst of right now suffering, you know, so on. It's, it's sort of, it feels like sort of a meta statement on what the kingdom of God is like. Yeah. I don't know. It, it, it's like I said, it's, it seems hard. I don't have a, you know, I don't have 17 bullet points on this one. It's just hard to, to quantify what, what everything that's going on. Um, so what do you think about that as a description of what's going on? Uh, yeah, I think, I think this is one of those passages you take and you kind of reread it and then you reread it and you just allow it to, to sink in. So, yeah, I think we're probably uh, taking away, as you suggested, from uh, the, the, the effect of the passage by trying to analyze it or break it down. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah. But, but you kind of have to do that. You, you, just have to. Have to, you just have to be aware you're, you're always going to be leaving something on the table. Yeah, the interesting thing is... is it's Jar- Jairus, a synagogue leader, 
And then a woman who had been bleeding, uh, she came and touched his cloak. And I, if I, if I remember right through a Levitical lens, uh, that would have caused Jesus to become unclean. Um, just because of what, uh, because of her suffering and, uh, disease, whatever it is. But, but the synagogue leader takes a risk because most synagogue leaders did not, they were opposed to Jesus. So both of them, and it may be in desperate desperation. Yeah. Their, their need is what drives them. You know, my daughter is dying. I, I have a 12 year old. I couldn't imagine if she's sick and dying, I'm doing anything I can. Uh, not saving face whatsoever to that's the only thing driving me. And then this woman who has, she's completely broke. She's been under bad care for what? 12 years. Yeah. Yeah. It's care of many doctors. Yeah. I think that's, you know, some medical professionals, I think um, (laughs) love that passage. She, she suffered under the care of many doctors for years. (laughs) Spent all she had and just got sicker. I mean, I think that's, uh, but I think there is something there. There's a desperation. Like this is what productive desperation looks like. Um, And I think we have difficulty even understanding, like we should be this desperate spiritually, but we live in a time where it's hard for us to appreciate the level of the desperation of a gyrus who, I mean, there's no emergency room, there's no ambulance coming, there's no EMTs, there's no ICUs. I mean, she yeah. he probably he maybe doesn't even know what she's dying of. And that's probably normal in, you know, hey, I, I've seen people die because the average person of a certain age would have seen people die in that in that time and place. Uh, and I can tell she's dying. I don't even, you know, I don't know what's going on. I'm desperate. Uh, yeah, and, and this is a bit of a tangent, but I think there's something here even to the, the question of faith and how Jesus responds. I'm, I'm reading into the passage a little bit to assume that this isn't the first phone call Jairus has made. Uh, your daughter's sick and dying has probably been a bit of a process. So uh, let's just assume for a moment that that the, the Mark is also saying both of these have uh, not been able to be cared for. So doctors, whatever. And Jesus is a last resort. Yeah. Jesus is a last resort. And the humility of God to be heard and be counted as a last resort and still answer. Yeah. Right. That's something that stands out to me. Right. Which is true uh, for us often. Yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, there's that. <clears throat> there is a, um, I mean, what part hope plays in this was, um, you know, do you, in that situation where things happen in this process and with this woman, it was over many years. Uh, you know, what do you, what is hope what place is there for hope? They don't give up hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they don't, um, they therefore um, open themselves up for even deeper disappointment. Uh, if the, like if the woman goes 
and hopes and believes and has faith deep enough to where she's healed by touching Jesus's cloak to, if that doesn't work, it's even a more bitter crushing yeah. disappointment. And, uh, the, I think what we often do, well, I think what a lot of people often do is they don't allow themselves to hope at that level at some point. Okay. They just, all right, this is, you know, it's, it's, I'm never going to be healed. I'm never going to be better. It's the, it's the opposite of the man by the pool who goes there for 38 years, but really, you know, getting better is going to take something more than that. And he's not doing it. He sort of got himself into this rut. And this woman is the opposite of that and that she's, she's desperate enough to try this crazy, this crazy, which you think it's kind of crazy, right? She's desperate enough to try this crazy maneuver, everybody crying around. If I just touch his cloak, I'll be healed, which she believes and and, and which happens. Uh, So I do, I think there's a place where there's a hope that's not like a faith healing this, and this is the, one of the one of the things that's interesting about this passage is what what is biblical hope in our fallen times? What does it look like? What should it look like? And what does it bring you? What's the cost of having it, and what's the cost of not having it? Yeah, I think it reminds me of the passage uh, Jesus says in the in the last days or in the latter days, um, because of the increase of evil the love of many will grow cold and theologically he's not talking about you know thousands of years in the future the way the new testament authors understood the last days was with jesus arrival death resurrection and ascension is the beginning of the last days so they would have had an assumed knowledge of this these are last days type things so when he says increase of evil he means then and he means now And so I think the hard part is to keep hoping, even though like we don't want to hope because it's incredibly vulnerable. We don't want to hope because it, and by vulnerable, I mean, we risk pain and it's easier to not hope and to keep going through life and to close off our heart and let it become calloused than to hope and say, well, last resort, I'm going to go to another doctor. I'm going to go to another person. I'm going to pray another prayer. I'm going to, I'm going to keep asking, keep asking, keep, I'm going to go try to see Jesus. Um, and interesting to me, neither one of them talk about hope or faith. It's Jesus who gives the commentary on their actions. And I think that's interesting. I'm, I'm reading a book right now, um, about Paul's anthropology from a professor from, uh, Duke and, uh, she's making a distinction between uh, third person propositions and second person knowing second person analysis. So like third person proposition is something like we know that we know that it's the, the, the case. We know that this is something that's true. Like Jesus is God. Jesus died. Jesus rose from the dead. I believe that that that's something that happened. Okay. Well, that's a third person proposition, but I believe in Jesus is the second person knowing it's kind of the the same as saying Jesus Christ is Lord is I believe that's the case, but 
you know, to put it on a more intimate terms, oh, I know Courtney is my wife. Okay, well, there's a completely different way of knowing. And neither one of them talk about their faith. I think this relates to us in the church today is where I'm going. Neither one of them talk about their faith. They act upon their hope and faith. And it's Jesus who gives the commentary about your faith that healed you. And obviously, Jairus has faith that Jesus is going to do something and he acts on it. And then Jesus, uh, you know, tells them when they say, stop bothering him, don't be afraid, just believe. So I think there's a relationship here to the openness of hope, the openness of faith, the actions of it, instead of simply, uh, I don't think affirmation is bad. I believe these things, but if that's all we have, I think there's, something needs to be said to that. I think that's really, really good. I think that's really, really good, especially when you translate these physical healings into uh, hope around our own spiritual transformation, let's say. And in which case, the second person statement would be, I know Jesus, I know people can be transformed by the gospel. Mm -hmm. That's a theological truth that, I am able to be transformed into Christ likeness is a, is a different, you know, Christ is here to transform me mm-hmm. is a different proposition that it's easier to believe the first and the second. And I think we've all been in the position and we know people who believe the first proposition and don't really believe the second proposition who believe Jesus heals, but I'm not going to hope and be, vulnerable and act in order to put myself on the line to, for my own healing. Um, Because spiritually, many of us suffer under the care of many pastors for many years Mm -hmm. and are no, and are no better. Right. That's really good. No. uh, And we give up hope. Uh, And sometimes we, might find a, a, you know some spiritual environment where our sickness is minimized uh, without being addressed. And you know it's only true hope has to live in, as you said, in the pain of the last these last days. Otherwise it's really not hope. It's sort of wishful, happy thinking in the third person. Mm-hmm. And these people are living in their own, reality, demonstrating hope, demonstrating faith. And you're right. Jesus is the one who provides the commentary um, and they act in faith and in hope, Um, which I just, there's something profound there to consider uh, that uh, it's hard even to articulate. Yeah. I think, so think about what, what do you think about this analogy? So imagine that there's a, a child that's raised in a room from birth and um, it's, it's, it's just whitewashed room. They have computer, they have books, they learn, um, you know, 12 years old, they learn about, learn about the world, 12 years old. You, you start to, to, to ask them about, do you know what love is? And the child can answer because they've read about it. Yes, I know what love is this, 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 and this. Okay. But do you know what it's like? If you say 
does your mother love you? You can say yes. But do you know what it's like to be held by your mother? Do you know what it's like to be comforted by your mother? Do you know what it's like to hear your mother's voice? And the answer is no. And I think that that's true of, of people today and can be true of myself as well in the church of, I can tell you what it's like, but I don't know if I can tell you from experience. And I think the gospel is very experiential. God calls us into experience. God yeah. calls us into a living, breathing, transformative life. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's good. Is it, it's, it's an abstraction or it's a lived reality. Uh, and these people are living out this lived reality of faith and hope when the stakes are high and living that out and not getting, not, you know, not having your faith or hope rewarded in the way you want it in the short term is very vulnerable and painful and uh, risky. Uh, and I do think that's for us, you know, vulnerable, dependent, risky is where I think we're, we're called to be and living in a first person, uh, you know, a lived transformation that is risky, painful, because to, to experience the actual, um, love of your mother, of this child in the room, is also to risk rejection. Mm -hmm. It's the stakes go up in both directions, right? And I think we want to minimize the risk, the downside risk, and therefore we minimize the upside risk and, and, and try to steer a safe course, which we can't, you can't be transformed that way. But it's much, it's much safer to read about it from a distance, to have more teaching, to watch another you know, Bible study on YouTube or another sermon. It's much safer. It reminds me of um, Gandalf is trying to push Bilbo out the door in The Hobbit um, for a great adventure. And Bilbo's worried about his plates and his mother's doilies. And, and Gandalf says, the world does not exist here in your books and maps. It's out there. And it's a, it's a call to a faith that has action to a faith that is in motion. Um, that's, and I think that's the call for, for mm. us as well. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it too. You know, that we, instead of reading about the story of Christianity to be, to realize you're in the story of Christianity. And I think we could read about this story, this particular story and you know, that's a story I'm looking at from the outside. And the challenge for us, and it's true for, I think, all biblical passages is, this is describing a story I'm in. This translates to me in some way yeah. about the life I'm actually living. What is that? And that's sort of, that's the sense of, yeah, we, you know, about, you know, the boat and Jesus, you know, calming the storms. Yeah, we may not actually be in a boat, but we are actually in that situation uh, and we're meant to draw something from that situation. We may not have been this woman who suffered for all these years, but we have been in a situation where we struggle against our own spiritual illness for many years. Yeah. Uh, and what are we called to do and what does that look like? Uh, and what does that open ourselves up to? 
Um, you know, and I think that's the, um, you know, again, the, that the world is out there. We're living in it now. Uh, the, we, we, we can't escape it actually. We're just going to live a much smaller version of it. But the big version is scary, risky, vulnerable, dependent. In order to actually have faith, you can't, you can't have control. In order to actually have faith, you, you risk something. Uh, I wonder if the commentary for us is, are, are we somewhat like the disciples more than Jairus and the woman? You know what I mean? Just watching it happen. <laughs> Just kind of watching it and then, and then incredulous that Jesus thinks he knows, you know, who touched him. And, and then only a few get to go in. You know, are we more like, what? we're just along for the ride. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> just kind of outside. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. I hadn't <laughs> thought of that. That's good, that we're like the disciples going, what are you talking about who touched you? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. There's a hundred people touching you. <laughs> right. um, instead of, you know, yeah, there's something going on here that we don't understand that impacts us. That we, and, you know, that we're all the woman. We're all that woman. That that's a picture of something that we're, our suffering is unaddressable. Our spiritual illness is not healable uh, under the care of many teachers, many Bible studies, many discipleship programs, uh, many sermons, that it's not those things. It's, it's the gospel. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's Christ in those things. And, uh, you know, we have to sort of lay ourselves out there, go to him. And if I can just get to him, I can be healed. Uh, and yeah, we can be like the disciples analyzing mm -hmm. at, at, a, at a human level. I mean, they're analyzing it at some level, which it, okay. The, again, their objection isn't crazy right. because, you know, there are people touching him all over the place. Like who touched me? Uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it seems like a crazy question. At one level, it is a crazy question. At the real root level, it isn't. And I think that's, that's as you're saying, we can be like the disciples and just live sort of on the human level and sort of be there. Like they're there, but they miss what's going on. Yeah, ju just, just enough. Just enough. But not in the moment. Yeah. You know, just yeah. outside the moment. I'm here. I showed up. That counts. I'm just outside the moment, but I'm not right. crossed I'm that. All threshold. around it. Yes. I'm all around it. Yes. I'm not in it. Uh, yeah. And, and the re and the woman's in it because she's desperate and, Jai and Jairus is in it because he's desperate, um, you know, and healing uh, comes that way. Um, okay. So it seems, I do think that for us, you know, instead of making the story about some theological point, I mean, to me, that seems like the core of what we need to be thinking about as our own spiritual transformation. But we probably do need to talk about a, a spiritual or a theological point here or there. You know, this seems, it's a, it seems, I mean, it seems like a faith healing, right? Uh, right? If you touch the screen or whatever, you know, you touch the TV screen and uh, you'll be healed and, well, touch the TV screen and give me a hundred dollars, you know, send it to this, you know, whatever. <laughs> right. 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 Um, uh, and in a certain sort of sense, Jesus says it's a faith healing. Your faith has healed you. Yeah. Um, 
So how would you address that? You know, what, what we tend to do, what some people tend to do with that now and versus what's really going on here. Yeah, that, that is, um, that's a really good question. Big, big, you know, and in the church world, a big issue, a big conversation. So for for our limited time, I, I might just say there's other examples in the gospels where Jesus did not heal everybody. You don't find it explicitly because that's not what the writers are out to do. They're not out to show, but it says, and he healed many, and then he had to leave the town and he left. So I, I would just say, yes, these are faith healings. Like it's their faith. And Jesus is very clear. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has made your daughter well. Um, and yet the danger with the human heart is to try to take something and make it formulaic and try to take something and inject certainty and guarantee into it and then place expectations upon God and the way God works. And I think, you know, from a human point of view, uh, that's a, that's a, you're setting yourself up for incredible disappointment. You're setting yourself up for potentially rejecting your faith because you had a notion that if I just believe God's going to do this, this, and this, and then it didn't happen, well, the fault can't be God's. So the fault must mm-hmm. be mine. Right. And then you work really hard and you think you have a lot of faith or you do it and you see something great happen in somebody else's life. So you begin to internalize. I'm the defect. My faith is defective. And maybe you walk away from God. So I just say I have compassion on people who, who tend to go that route. Um, but if we can catch it at the starting point, Jesus doesn't work the same way in everybody's life. We see that with um, C.S. Lewis story with um, Aslan. Uh, it doesn't work the same way in all four of the kids' life. He doesn't work the same way that he does in a previous chapter of the book. So just mm-hmm. because Jesus worked this way 10 years ago in my life doesn't mean he's going to do the exact same thing again. And so the, he- the to me, it's the hesitancy of absolutely have faith, ask for things, desperately go to Jesus, but have an open-handedness about it. That And yet faith also means he gets to determine the outcome. Mm-hmm. In fact, that might be the harder part of faith. Right. It, that's it, actually true faith. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I think that's the, the conundrum for faith healing is that the kind of faith healing, healing that's all often believed in isn't really faith. It's um, a sort of magical thinking manipulation of the situation where if I have more than eight ounces of faith, I get what I want. Right. Uh, where that's not even faith. Uh, that faith is always a part of healing and transformation and everything spiritual, you know, without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's the true statement. Having some certain amount of faith doesn't guarantee me any outcome though. Because obviously, as you said, many were not healed, many died and were not raised almost, (laughs) almost all, most, you know, uh, and the healings that are there are meant to show us something about ourselves that isn't really about physical healing necessarily. Uh, but to, we want to take that and make it something in the abstract that we can then rely on. All I have to do is have enough faith and nothing bad will happen. Well, obviously that's not, that's not the case. It is true though, that all that the woman and Jairus are acting in faith so that healing and restoration can happen 
And that's a picture for us that our spiritual healing and restoration and our faith are, are intertwined in a world in which hope is vulnerable and painful and faith isn't always that easy. Uh, and like the woman, like Jairus, we ought, we ought to act in our spiritual desperation in faith to see what God will do when he does it. Uh, and that's really the only kind of transformation there is. Like there isn't another kind. Um, so um, there's prob- probably a lot more we could say uh, about all of that. I think the, in my view, the notion to take it and make it faith healing or the whole notion of faith healing to me actually isn't faith. It's sort of, I've got God over a barrel that if mm-hmm. I do this, he has to do this. And we never have God over the barrel. That's not even, that's not faith. Uh, our faith is when I don't get healed for many years, many doctors, if I don't transform in many years, many spiritual leaders, I still have hope that my ultimate healing is promised, even if I don't see it today or tomorrow. Uh, and I will act in that hope. And ultimately, I will be transformed. That's actually true faith. Yeah. Yeah, to keep your heart open to bleeding when the answers don't come, when the comfort doesn't come. Yeah. Um, to me, that's that's the long road of faith. Like it. Let's end that. Let's end on the long road of faith. Love that. Uh, so let's live that road. Uh, live on that road this week. Um, grace and peace. Thanks for listening to Rogue Table Talks, a Calvary Church Media Productions podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts.